Well, it's the second day of SEC Media Days, and uh, nobody's been subpoenaed yet, so there's that. You are Locked On Bama, your daily podcast on the Alabama Crimson Tide, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, everybody, and welcome back into Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me, Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, it's the second day of SEC Media Days, and uh, Georgia was there today. Auburn was there today. Um, Vandy was there today. And I got the sense that uh, the SEC commissioner was like, all right, everybody, listen, Vandy's going to be here in a few minutes. When they get here, I want you to treat them just as nicely as you treat everybody else. You've got to treat – y'all have got to be a little nicer to Vandy. I mean, it's like when they are there, it's like you um, – it's, it's like getting a, a duplicate baseball card you already have in your in your pack. I mean, it's like I don't – I wanted something different. I mean, I just feel like I got robbed out of a spot. But that's okay. Um, Hugh Freeze and Auburn didn't really say a ton. Uh, they did sort of – Talk about Jarquez Hunter just for a second, that there's a university issue. Um, there was that. But there really wasn't much else that was said. Um, Georgia, uh, Kirby Smart was there, and, and I listened to some of their player interviews, and really it was just all sort of the same stuff. There just wasn't – there hadn't been a lot of excitement yet. Maybe it'll come tomorrow with, uh, you know, Alabama there. Yeah, no true huge story I will say about Vanderbilt and Clark Lee. You know, he, he kind of comes across when he speaks as like, too smart to be a football coach, which is so on brand for Vanderbilt. I mean, it's like, boy, that is a good fit because he comes across like really, really bright. But uh, and they they were a good team last year that, you know, finishing, I think, five and seven, almost bowl eligibility, which is a big deal at Vanderbilt. And and they waxed Hawaii, you know, in that opener, had a couple of nice wins, two SEC wins, including an SEC road win. So uh, I think it's an improving program under Clark Lee. But, you know, they had such good fortune last year that they might be a better team this year and, and, and not have as good of a record uh, because, you know, five and seven and two and six is sort of overachieving for them. As to Auburn, I thought the most interesting thing Hugh Freeze said uh, was really when he was on Feinbaum set with Paul and, 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 and admitted, uh, even saying, boy, he's going to take some heat for this, but admitted how much he uh, admires Coach Saban how much he likes Coach Saban and that him and Coach Saban are personal friends, even mentioning uh, kind of old news, but but that they vacation together, Hugh Freeze and his wife with uh, with with Nick and Miss Terry have vacation together. And he said that uh, during his time away from coaching, his exile uh, that was richly deserved, uh, he said that Nick Saban was one of the few coaches that uh, really was an encourager to him during the time he was out of football, that things could get turned around for him. So he... He had glowing personal remarks about Nick Saban, and that's probably not something you've seen throughout the years, the Auburn coach uh, speaking glowingly about the Alabama coach or vice versa. But, uh, hey, we talk about it all the time. You know, rivalries are, are really more for fans than uh, coaches and players in the sense that that's kind of a small fraternity and they all really know each other. It definitely. And, look, I can I can appreciate that, uh, Hugh Free saying those things. I, I certainly can. Um, I thought, again, Mississippi State was there today. Um, they were almost uh, more non-existent than Vanderbilt in a way. I mean, how many people listening to this podcast, including you and you and me, 
can name the Mississippi State head coach right now. I mean, they go from a guy who was a beyond uh, eclectic personality, eccentric. I mean, just uh, effervescent. Any other e words I can use here? Um, just a, this, this really, this huge personality. And they super quotable. Yes, yeah, super quotable. I mean, last year he's super quotable, and last year he started out his press conference with seven words. That's, That's true. Right. That's yeah, just Zach, weird. Zach Arnett is a really good defensive coordinator, so I'm real curious as to how this is going to work out because it's one of those situations. We've seen this at Alabama, even though Mississippi State and Alabama aren't apples and oranges, but we've seen this at Alabama and it not work out. And what I mean by that is. I understand why Mississippi State hired Zach Arnett because of the timing of everything. I get it. And he is a good defensive coordinator. But no other Power 5 program, no other group of five program really, but certainly no other Power 5 program was clamoring to hire Zach Arnett. Mississippi State was the only FBS job offered to Zach Arnett last year in terms of being a head coach. He's only the head coach at Mississippi State because he was at Mississippi State when the coach tragically passed away uh and and i think had mike loach mike leach just moved on to another job during the the time period that coaches normally do that i don't know that mississippi state would have hired zach arnett uh, so i'm real curious as to how it worked out because at alabama i would argue a couple of coaches at alabama particularly mike shula uh you know and mike dubos both mike dubos and mike shula they were hired by alabama because of the circumstances and only Alabama would have hired them for those jobs at that time. There, there was no one else uh, trying to hire either one as a head coach. And one lesson I've learned, hopefully we won't have to deal with replacing Nick Saban soon, but this is a lesson for me and who knows how it's going to work out. Me and you hopefully will still have a show during, you know, 20 years from now when coach Saban retires. But one of the mantras for me, Luke, is I don't care who we hire. I will be saying this all the time. I want to hire who our peers would hire. I want to hire someone that Ohio State would hire, someone that uh, USC would hire, someone that Texas would hire, someone that LSU and Georgia would hire. I, I don't want to hire somebody that only Alabama would give this guy a shot. Uh, that just hasn't worked out. You know who would have hired Nick Saban? Pretty much everyone. And we see how that's worked out. So that's what what comes to mind for me about Zach Arnett is no one else would have hired him. Now I'm not taking a shot at him. I'm real curious to see how it worked out. Cause I have a ton of respect for him as a defensive coordinator. I think in a tough job being the DC for Mike Leach, uh, he did a, an exceptional job and not with the athletes that one would get at an LSU or Alabama, to be frank. Uh, so Zach's a good coach. Now, is he going to be a good head coach? I guess we're going to find out. That's such a good point on, uh, nobody would have hired uh, Shula or DeBose. Um, now, the one thing I would say is actually Mississippi State did hire Sly Croom, but that was almost like to thumb their nose at us. And because nobody else was really interested, that's really all that was about, it feels like. I think it's because Alabama put his name in the, Correct. In the newspaper as a, as a potential head coach candidate, and they probably read it went, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Hey, even Alabama was considering him. We might better take a look at anyone that meets Sylvester or interviews Sylvester is going to be impressed with the man. And, uh, you know, I'm close to some Mississippi State fans. And uh, actually, the, the couple I'm close to, they still uh, they still wax poetic about Sylvester Crew. They really they appreciated his his time there and what he did for State. It just didn't 
work on the field. Uh, but that's a tough job. I, I've argued before, and people think I'm nuts. I think it's the hardest job in the whole league. I think it's a harder job than Vanderbilt. I really do, because Vanderbilt has something to sell that Mississippi State does not. And by that, I'm talking well, – And no expectations. No expectations. The, the, the best academic profile in the whole SEC by miles and miles and miles. And the city of Nashville. The city of Nashville is a huge selling point for Vanderbilt. It's a great, fun city for college kids. And uh, they sell – what does Mississippi State sell? They're in a very small population state with less of a football history than their rival, Ole Miss. Uh, they're in the middle of nowhere. There's not a lot to do there, to be honest. I like it because I like southern college towns. But I understand 17- and 18-year-old kids more being appreciative of Oxford or Baton Rouge or Tuscaloosa or Auburn uh, than Starkville. Uh, I, I just think it's a really tough job. And uh, the coaches that have won there, like Dan Mullen, uh, I, I think – did a spectacular job there. And, and, and let's see how Zach Arnett does with I'm sort of pulling for the guy. He, he, he has a unique situation in terms of how he kind of fell into, uh, fell into that job. Well, you know, I went to look up a picture to put out here and I was like, let me just see if there's no chance. If you just said, Hey, that's the Not head him. coach of Gordo, but with a Mississippi state shirt on, I'd be like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Or Pike road or, you know, Fife or where I mean, I mean, like, yeah, that looks exactly like what I would think one of those coaches would look like. And even in this picture, it's like somebody was trying to take a picture of something in the background and they were focusing the camera and they just happened to take a shot of him while they were there. I mean, it's like he's almost just not even there. That might know? be an old picture. I didn't really look like him to me. Maybe, maybe it's not. But how do we know? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know. It didn't really look like him, but. I, it, Jimmy, it, Jimmy, no offense to Zach Arnett, that may not be him, and I just don't know it. But I mean, I'm not sure anybody would know it. So, all right, let's uh, let me tell everybody. Sorry for any locked on Mississippi State fans here. Um, let me tell everybody about FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting on Major League Baseball with FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount. That's 10 times. So that's up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets if you win or lose. If you win or lose. So that's $200. You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under. Who you think is going to hit the first home run, whatever it is. Go to FanDuel. Check this out. That's all on an app that's safe, secure, and is super easy to use. Plus, you get paid instantly. How many places do you go and get paid instantly anymore? At FanDuel, you do. So go check out FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is official partner of Major League Baseball. Jimmy, will continue tomorrow talking about SEC Media Days because it's Bama Day. So looking forward to that. That's why we've been putting these out a little later in the day, just seeing if there's anything that does happen to come out during these SEC Media Days so far. Uh, much ado about nothing. Really not even much ado, frankly. Um, but I know we wanted to talk about get into your countdown, but you wanted to bring up uh, Solomon Williams, yeah. but one of the players Alabama still uh, recruiting very hard. And um, he's really shooting up the ranks, it feels like. And is he kind of on commit watch? I would think so. I don't think that's something that would happen any day. But my – as uh, 
uh, Hastings. Jimmy, I muted you by accident. <laughs> yeah, so, hey, just let the world know that was you. That was Luke the muter. Luke the muter got me this time. How did so, I mute you? I, I, I don't know. I did notice on the screen it said that, but I, I, I ignore a lot of what I'm told on the screen. Uh, so Joseph Hastings of BOL, my guy, my, my, co, my co-worker, uh, he is down in Orlando uh, today. Follow uh, Joseph Hastings on Twitter, and you can see he took some really cool video of Solomon Williams today working out. Uh, so, so check that out, everybody. And you can see why Alabama is pretty enamored with this guy. His ranking isn't super elite right now just yet, but as we know, it's still somewhat early. We've got senior season. We've got all-star games. Uh, all of those things could act to, to, to move rankings uh, one, way, one way or the other, but we believe Solomon would move up. He's an interesting outside linebacker prospect because of his size at 6'2", 255. He doesn't fit the profile of a lot of Alabama's pass rushing outside linebackers. Uh, Alabama ideally likes a little longer guys, Will, Keon, Keeley, uh, Tim Williams type, 6'3", 6'4", and above. That can uh, that can really get after the passer, right? Well, Solomon is built more at the same stage, like Anthony Jennings, like Denzel Duvall, like Ryan Anderson, where they're sort of like first and foremost thicker edge setters. Uh, Alabama signed one very recently, uh, two cycles ago, and Jeremiah Alexander, who's also very similarly sized to Solomon Williams, and uh, Alabama likes that type. When I named all those guys. Courtney Upshaw will be another one pretty similar, actually. Uh, when I name all those guys, notice that they were all starters. They all played significant roles at Alabama, except for Jeremiah, who's still a young player, still has we'll, – we'll see what happens with his career. But Duvall, Ryan Anderson, Courtney Upshaw, uh, you know, they, they all they all played at Alabama. Anthony Jennings, who I think is actually the best uh, comp of all of them. Uh, again, very similarly sized to those guys – at the same stage and a very similar film to those guys. So Alabama likes Solomon Williams a lot. Uh, we think he likes Alabama a lot. I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, he's on commitment watch. Like this is something that could happen any day now. But uh, I, I do think that as of now, uh, just I, I think it's very likely, or I should say more like it's very possible that uh, Solomon Williams ends up on Alabama's uh, commitment list at some point during this cycle. Good player, very physical very aggressive, good pass rusher for sure. But just really, uh, I, I would start any eval of him by saying he's a real physical presence on the football field. I'm trying to get us – boy, I'm, I'm really off my game on the uh, moving around the old mouse today. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I like him a lot. And the, the more I see of this guy, the more I like him. And he's one of those that, that, you know, give the Alabama staff credit. I've been hearing his name for quite some time. Give the Bama Online staff some credit. I've been hearing his name for some time. And, you know, you yeah. see – you I'm see three higher on this guy than I think the other services, right? I mean, I don't have right. the rankings. Of oh, yeah. Leave on, on three well, he's a four-star right when you get. He's yeah. a four-star and, and you know, again, I mean, I'm not. I mean, it, it sounds like such a homer when I say it, but uh, but I'm a big fan of our rankings department. The people that do it, I think, are the best in the industry. I mean, they they just really are. And I know people say, of course, he's going to say that he works there. But uh, I mean, I, I'd put a, let let's see in a few years when when we do the comparisons in terms of who was more accurate. Uh, I just have a lot of uh, faith in uh, Charles Power and his people in our uh, rankings department. 
you know, I'm a big fan of the people who signed my paycheck. I really am. That's BOL that does that, but we're part of the All3 Network and, and just have good people. Uh, Solomon uh, did come to Alabama's camp this summer, and, and as we all know, that's a big that's a big thing with Saban. So the fact that he came to camp, performed in front of Saban, and Alabama's still chasing after him, that should tell everybody uh, all they really need to know. All right, Jimmy, let's take a break. When we come back, a couple of countdown guys. And we're back. Uh, Jimmy, getting into your countdown again, let's go with one Mr. Earl Little. Uh, uh, really, uh, the best play I think he's made at Alabama was in the 8A game this year when he knocked away a pass uh, very athletically. Uh, he didn't intercept it, but he was able to tip it away. Uh, it would have been a touchdown. It was a great play. But uh, a lot of promise with this kid, and um, I know the fans are very, very high on him. Yeah, and the coaches are really high on him. I, I think the main thing with Earl that really stands out to me, Luke, is you know he, he got hurt last summer, so he missed all. I know he's a, a second-year guy in the program, but he missed all of last summer. He missed all of fall camp, which is a critical time for freshmen to be learning things. He missed it all. He comes back mid-season, played in a couple games really late. But, but he was such a non-factor last fall just because of injury. So he shows up this spring really as a true freshman, honestly. I mean, he didn't get to go through fall camp. He didn't get to go through summer work. Now he's healthy. He goes through spring practice, basically in spring practice, a starter. And for all of our talk about Caleb Downs being a probable starter as a true freshman, Earl Little has done something really similar here. And he's doing it at a position that's kind of tough to play, that star spot, the nickel corner spot which requires you to know a lot. It requires you to be instinctive. You have to be tough. You have to be tough like a linebacker, but a cover guy like a corner. And Earl's doing all those things really well. As of today, I project him to be a starter. I'm not 100% sure Malachi Moore could end up the starter at nickel corner. And that's why I have Earl down here in the mid-20s and not a little higher because I'm not 100% sure he'll be the starter, but I believe he will. I mean, that's my projection today is that he will be a starter game one, quarter one against Middle Tennessee State, and he's going to be manning that position for a couple of years or more. Real instinctive, uh, built like a safety, has cornerback skills. Dab was a really good player, uh, so he's very instinctive and tough, but there's every reason for Alabama fans out there to know that name, Earl Little Jr., and uh, Earl's going to be a significant player at Alabama, no question. The next guy on your countdown is somebody who was a, a surprise last year, Kobe Prentice, seen here catching a touchdown against um, Arkansas. And, you know, he he sort of burst onto the scene, then he disappeared a little bit, and then he had a nice back end of the season. Um, had that 47-yard touchdown against Kansas State where really – I mean, yeah, it was a great play by by Bryce Young. I mean, Bryce was uh, really probably should have been sacked that play, but he's able to find Prentice across the middle, and Prentice makes a couple of moves, breaks the tackle, and next thing you know, he's gone. Um, this is a kid that I saw at Calera High School a few times and, and was impressed with him. I didn't think he'd make an immediate contribution the way he did, but he's come in. He, he played really well last year. Um, He's a name that sort of gets lost in the shuffle when it comes to wide receivers. I mean, you're talking about receivers right now. Uh, when I talk to other Tide fans or, or other folks involved in SEC, whatever, they tend to bring up Ja'Cory Brooks, or Jermaine Burton, uh, Malik Benson. Kobe Prince's name been thrown out there a whole bunch. Right. And it is crazy. You know, 
it's it's everybody's situation is different. Everybody's circumstances different. Let's not forget that JoJo Earl was hurt in, in the preseason, and and JoJo was scheduled to be Alabama's starting receiver at the slot position. But JoJo's hurt and misses the first couple of weeks, and uh, Kobe Prentice slid into his spot, and I think did extremely well. Uh, his 33 receptions as a true freshman. I'm telling you, I don't, I don't have a list in front of me. It'll be interesting to see. But I would guess that even with all of Alabama's crazy first-round talents at wide receiver, Devontae, Judy, Ruggs, Ridley, Julio, uh, if you went down that list, how many of them caught more than 33 balls as a true freshman? Some of them did. Some of them did. Most of them did not. Like Devontae Smith caught six or seven balls. Ruggs caught six or seven balls. Prentice caught 33 as a true freshman, including, like Luke said, the big uh, play in the bowl game against Kansas State. So there's every reason to be excited about Kobe Prentice and how good he's going to be. Here's one guess, though. This, this means nothing. This is not a shot at Kobe. But when you bring in like three or four guys at the same position all at the same time, like Alabama did, Kobe, Emmanuel Henderson, Kendrick Law, Isaiah Bond, you brought all those guys, and even Aaron Anderson, who transferred out to uh, to LSU. You bring all those guys in. Kobe's the one that was most productive right off the bat, the best player right off the bat. What's funny to me is college is such a developmental sport, Luke. I think a really good bet is three years from now, Kobe's not the best player in that group. Someone's going to catch him and pass him and be an even better player. But that's just football. That has nothing to do with Kobe. It's just a, a lesson for all of us that, hey, just because someone adapted to the SEC quickly does not mean that in the long run they're going to be the best player. Other kids develop at a different pace, but they end up being better. So let's see who ends up being the best player of that five-man group. Alabama kind of bought in at wide receiver. I'm going to guess it's not Kobe, but 33 catches as a freshman, he's going to have a significant career at Alabama, no, no doubt. He already he already does. I'm looking – I just looked up – I just picked Tulio Jones because I remember uh, – Devontae Smith didn't have many catches. He he didn't have – I mean, everybody remembers two of his catches as freshmen, one for a game winner against Mississippi State and one to win the national championship. Uh, Henry Ruggs, like his first seven catches went for touchdowns, but he and he had maybe four, five, ten catches after that. Kobe Prentice apparently had 31 catches last year, 337, with only two touchdowns. So his two touchdowns were against Kansas State and, and Arkansas? Those only two he had? Yeah, that's kind of – yeah, and it just goes to show how even though the reception total is impressive and nice, what he needs to work on is what I would call the playmaking, like make something happen. you got to do some yak stuff, right? Make something happen after the catch. That didn't happen uh, enough. But that's going to come with experience and, 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 and better luck and uh, better placement of balls and, and, and things like that. But, yeah, only two scores. Uh, I think, you know, only average basically 10 yards a catch. That's not a lot. Uh, for a wide receiver. So he's got some things he needs to work on. Uh, being in the weight room is going to help him too. I think that's going to help him as a tackle breaker. Not every time that you uh, catch a ball and make a play do you need to make someone miss. That's too hard in the SEC. It's helpful if every now and then you can run through a tackle. That comes with the uh, strength gains in the weight room. Julio Jones had 58 catches as a freshman, by the way, which is Different probably time. half Different as many time. as he needed. Julio um, showed up the best wide receiver on the team showed up the best wide receiver on the team in 08. And uh, it was a different time. It's harder to do now at Alabama to show up the best player. But uh, yeah, that's what if, Julio, what, if, 
What if Julio had – I'm talking – I mean, even Jalen Hurts, really. But if he had had Tua, Mac, or Bryce. Right. I, I mean, yeah, Julio, it blows a little hamstrung, a little hamstrung by not having the uh, elite-level quarterback play that Alabama's had recently. Uh, that was another thing that held Julio back in the offense. Alabama's a little run-first, MTAQ-type offense. Uh, did some play action. Definitely, and Julio caught 58 balls. That's that's not a small amount of production. I remember David Palmer in his uh, Heisman-type season at Alabama in 93, I think he caught 60 balls. So Julio almost caught as many balls as David Palmer did in his Heisman season, So uh, or Heisman contending season. So it was a lot of balls, but it would have been even more if he'd have played with a Bryce or a Tua. Uh, no question that's been helpful to Alabama's wide receiver core to have guys like that to play with. And uh, and then we'll see what happens this fall with Kobe Prentice and his fellow sophomores as they try to cut into the snap share and reception share that the older kids like Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks and Malik Benson are bound to get. God, I, I mean, I know this shows our age. There's some people that listen to this show that don't really know anything about David Palmer. By the way, it's criminal that YouTube didn't have like a better collaboration of a or a montage of – David Palmer highlights they've got I've found one and it's it's like not a great song with it and it's just sort of but I mean it, it's great for me because I have so many great memories Palmer only had he, he played in 11 games as a freshman 17 catches <laughs> I mean that, that's criminal I think he returned four punts for touchdowns that that same season I think he returned the most punts for touchdowns in any season he was at Alabama in season number one. As a matter of fact, he wasn't even the starter at punt returner until game four. I remember this well. Uh, against Vanderbilt in Nashville was the game that he yeah. became yeah. Alabama's punt returner, and all he did, like the first time he ever caught a punt, was return it for touchdown yeah. against Vanderbilt. And uh, I'll be honest, we've won two Heismans under Saban, uh, a three, four. How many? Is there four now? Good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I was, I was thinking of the skill position. When I was saying that, I was thinking of the skill positions. Mark Ingram and Derrick Henry. I wasn't talking about the quarterbacks. But my point being, we've won two skill position Heismans in Mark Ingram and, and Derrick Henry and Devontae Smith. There's a third one. I think they, they – You should I'm have thought, thought this argument through. <laughs> I should write stuff down like, how many Heisman yeah. winners does Alabama? Yeah. My point being, even with all those Heismans that I can't even keep track of, I'm not so sure I still don't consider David Palmer the most talented offensive oh. player I've ever seen at Alabama, the most the most gifted offensive player. It's just a different time. Uh, he didn't get to play in these offenses, no telling what he would have done in the modern game. Uh, he was a real undersized guy to the point that when he went to the NFL, he didn't even throw the ball to him much because there just weren't a lot of five-foot-eight receivers in that league. And, like, can you imagine him in today's game with so much space? Like, there wasn't any space back then. Everybody's shoulder pads took up all the space. Those shoulder pads back then were huge. Um, but anyway, it, yeah, boy, I, I highly recommend people go do research on David Palmer. He was – he's one of the most ridiculous players I've ever seen in my life. But anyway, uh, that's going to do it for today's podcast. Thank you guys so much for making this your first listen. We love you so much. Please go, go visit our sponsors, FanDuel and uh, everybody. Go Bird Dogs, all of them. Go check them out. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, roll tight, everybody. Roll tight.